Hello and welcome in. Thanks for joining us for the latest edition of the Frary and Smith podcast. Week three in the Sun Belt brought more excitement around the league. It's to a fever pitch at this point. The Sun Belt earned another Power Five win, and JMU knocked out the defending champs. South Alabama, they led wire to wire in Stillwater. James Madison dominated Troy up front. Georgia State moved to 3 0. Caden, a trio of conferences elite, Louisiana, App State, and Texas State all scored big wins, while Georgia Southern and Old Dominion couldn't finish versus Power Five opponents. Today on episode 117 of the show, it's time for our week three recap. We'll break down the biggest moments from the weekend and take a look at some of the top storylines through three weeks of the season. Kane, it feels like the excitement continues to grow each week. Week three gave us another Power 5 win over Oklahoma State, plus the heavyweight bout between JMU and Troy did not disappoint. Give me your overall thoughts on week three in the Sun Belt. Oh man, no, the headliners obviously disappoint. didn't disappoint. I think when you look at the, the win we predicted of South Alabama having, showing the strength of them as a power in this conference was huge. And then seeing two of the strongest powers, like you mentioned, and Troy and James Masson standing toe-to-toe with each other. I think we just saw a lot of the big muscle and strength of this conference. Some teams playing some of their best football we've seen all year. And I think across the board with all the teams, Noah, you're kind of seeing everyone figure out what their formula is, what their equation is to winning. I feel like week three out of all of the weeks, we've seen respective sides of the ball for all these conference teams kind of figure out what their bread and butter is and really lean into that. And a lot of these teams were able to bear the fruits of that. So just some exciting ball this weekend. And I think seeing these teams kind of figure out who they are as well as we get closer to conference play, which is what stood out to me. Well, like we do every Monday, we'll start this episode with the Sunbelt scoreboard where we'll review all the results from around the conference in week three. Then Kate and I will take an in-depth look at each of the Sunbelt's top games from the weekend. Let's get started with the first game of the schedule. On Saturday, it was Georgia Southern at Wisconsin and Madison. Wisconsin was a 19-point favorite. Caden and I both took the under on this game, or rather Georgia Southern against the spread. Uh, Davis Brindo threw five interceptions. He had a fumble as well. But despite all of that, Georgia Southern still led this game 14-7 with 12.33 to go in the third quarter. They gave up 28 unanswered points, though, to lose 35-14. They dropped to 2-1 on the season. Old Dominion, Wake Forest, and Norfolk. Wake was a 14-point favorite. Old Dominion led 17-0 at the half. Lamarion James had a fumble and interception return for touchdowns. Javon Harvey had a career-high 166 yards and a touchdown in the first half. 23 yards of offense, though, in the second half for Old Dominion. They give up 20 unanswered points to Mitch Griffiths and company and end up losing this game 27-24 to to fall to 1-2 and on the season. App State, ECU, and Boone, North Carolina, app favored by 9.5. They go on to win this one by 15. Joey Aguilar and Nate Noel continue their early season tear. Those two responsible for five touchdowns. App scored the final 21 after trailing with 10.03 to go in the third quarter. The Mountaineers, Kane, you got to love this. Now 2-1 and one on the season. ULM, Texas A&M. Texas A&M, heavy favorite. They walk away with an easy 47-3 victory, dropping ULM to 2-1 and one on the year. Southern missed Tulane. This one was a dud. Tulane walks away with the bell this year. Tulane, a 13-point favorite. They go on to win by 18 to drop Southern Miss to 1-2. and two. They're back up. Kai Horton responsible for three touchdowns. South or Southern Miss, rather, just 213 yards of offense. Gore continued to be MIA, just 16 yards. And Southern Miss scored just three points in this contest. Georgia State, Charlotte, quite the opposite in Charlotte, North Carolina. 
Georgia State, a seven and a half point favorite. They put up 41 points and win by 16. Darren Granger, north of 500 total yards in this game. Robert Lewis set a program record with 220 yards and two touchdowns. And Georgia State, don't look now, Caden, off to their first ever 3-0 start in program history. South Alabama, Oklahoma State in Stillwater. Oklahoma State, seven-point favorite. It was never close in this one. South Alabama leads wire-to-wire, winning 33-7. LaDamian Webb flashed his healthy self. They mauled the Cowboys on the ground with 243 yards. Defense had a huge day, and South Alabama picked up their second Power 5 win in program history to improve a 2-1 and one on the season. Louisiana UAB in Birmingham. UAB a two-point favorite, and Caden, it was 41-3 to with five minutes to go in this game. Ben Wooldridge left early with an injury. Enter Zeon Chris, the future, has arrived in Lafayette. He accounts for nearly 300 yards of total offense, three touchdowns, and a nice bounce back after that ODU loss. Louisiana now 2-1 and one on the season. Coastal Carolina, Duquesne, not much to say with this one. It was 59-0 at one point in this game. Four different Shawnee-Clear running backs found the end zone. They put together 515 yards of total offense, which was actually, Kane, I look back, it was their most since that Week 4 game in 2022 against Georgia State that you and I attended. Uh, Coastal Carolina wins 66-7 to to improve to 2-1. and Arkansas State, Stony Brook, the Red Wolves finally in the winner's circle this year. Jaquez Cross ran for a career-high 164 yards and two touchdowns, 345 yards on the ground for Arkansas State, their most since 2014. Perhaps that's their winning formula. They win 31-7 to to improve to 1-2. and Troy James Madison, this one was the heavyweight bout. It turned into a defensive slugfest. 19 TFLs, 8 sacks combined between the two teams. JMU held the nation's second leading rusher, Kamani Vidal, to 27 yards rushing. And Troy had negative 12 yards rushing in this game. Camden Wise came up big, had three clutch field goals to propel James Madison to a 16-14 win. James Madison 3-0. Troy now falls to 1-2 after back-to-back losses. Last game, Texas State, Jackson State, and San Marcos. Caden G.J. Kinney promises kept. He told us in his introductory press conference he would light up the scoreboard. He did just that 77 points with a Division I program record. T.J. Finley responsible for five touchdowns, 684 yards of total offense, 400 of those on the ground in this game. Texas State wins 77-34 to over Deion Sanders' old team to improve to 2-1. A couple of final notes, Caden. The Sun Belt extended their group of five best win streak to 29 games over FCS opponents, now 13-0 this year. South Alabama's Power 5 win over Oklahoma State was their second in program history. It was the league's seventh in the last two years. Seven different teams, Caden, App State, Georgia Southern, James Madison, Marshall, Old Dominion, South Alabama, and Texas State all have a Power 5 win in the last two years. And finally, three Sunbelt East teams remaining undefeated. James Madison at 3-0, Georgia State at 3-0, and Marshall at 2-0 after the bye this week. Caden, loaded schedule and so many good games this weekend. So many, as always, appreciate you running through that entire roster of the games. But the Sunbelt continuing week after week, whether you just look at the box scores or watching the games, just continues to deliver a ton of individual performance and a lot, a lot of good team performances as well that are just always something you can get excited about, it seems. Well, Kane, I got to admit, I'm looking forward to when we only have five or six games in a weekend. That's that's a mouthful, as it has been all year. But let's jump into some of the big matchups, Caden, and we'll start with the true stunner in this one, and that was South Alabama We thought they had a good chance at beating Oklahoma State, but they went and ran the Cowboys out of their own stadium, 33-7, to the final score in this one. South Alabama leads wire to wire in this game, and 
you know, Kane Walmack said after the game, he said, we're starting to play to the level we're capable of. I think we saw that on the field. They controlled every aspect of this football game. Kane, this is a huge win for South Alabama. It's their second win over a Power 5 program. They beat Mississippi State back in 2016. They're 2-1 after playing Tulane and now Oklahoma State in the first three games of the year. They're dealing with some key injuries. But, Caden, for the first time this year, we saw the South Alabama team that we were expecting. Yeah, definitely. No, this is the team that I was very high on last season. It's the team I was high on going into this season. And you can easily say in the first two weeks, there just wasn't that level of excitement just from watching the brand of football they were, where they were playing. It wasn't complimentary at all. Whenever the offense would maybe get some momentum, the defense would let them down and vice versa. Same with little elements like the run game and the pass game and the defense of the run and pass. But this one was just a complete puzzle and everything came together for this game. And just to see it happen on a big stage against a big time Power 5 Big 12 opponent, I think, is going to be huge for this team's confidence going forward. And I think another thing that's going to add to that confidence is just some of the big players that stepped up in this game in the lieu of some injuries. We saw after the game that a guy like Braylon McReynolds is likely out for the season with that broken collarbone bone. And Devin Voison as well on the offensive side of the ball. Well, two of the biggest impact players in this game were Kentrell Bullock and Colin Lacey, guys who had extended and expanded roles, rather, in those areas of the run game and the pass game. They had their fingerprints all over this win. And I think continuing forward this season, they're going to need more guys to step up if they have some depth issues across the board. But I think overall for this team, this is what we've been waiting for this season. Hopefully they can keep this momentum going into conference play, but just a huge win for this team. And it kind of gives you a what if, if this team maybe would have beat Tulane and played Tulane this well in the beginning of the season and then going forward, carried that momentum. Could this be that kind of Cotton Bowl type team? But I think for now, them having this going closer and closer into conference play is a huge plus for this program. Yeah, I think South Alabama wishes they were Ole Miss or Southern Miss not having to go up against Michael Pratt uh, to open the season. Kane, defense was great. We'll talk about that in a moment. But offense for the South Alabama team, it was electric. 395 yards of total offense. Carter Bradley, though, had a pretty modest day. 152 yards, two touchdowns. The running game was explosive. LaDamian Webb, 151 yards and two touchdowns. He's in the running for our top offensive player of the week. Kentrell Bullock, 18 carries, 71 yards. That pairing combined for 222 yards. Colin Lacey continued his big year, 13 big plays, nine in the run game. Caden, what'd you like about this offensive performance against Oklahoma State? It's like how I touched on just before. I think I liked how everyone stepped up, and I just loved how this team was able to lean on the running game and how everything kind of just evolved and came from that. You talk about LaDamian Webb. We talked about he might have had some issues, some struggles coming into this game, coming off of an injury. He's officially back. He had 152 yards in this one, two scores. And same with Ole Miss transfer. Bullock, who we talked about as well, he had 18 carries, two and 71 yards. Their ability to gain chunk yardage in this one constantly kept them able to just constantly dominate that time of possession. And it took a ton off of the plate of Carter Bradley. You mentioned his performance was modest. He only threw the ball 15 times in this one, but he was super efficient when he did it. And you can do that when you do have a strong running game there with you. He was able to just sit back there, take what this defense was giving him and really pick this unit apart, which is you love to see against a Big 12 defense who they're not known for their defensive prowess traditionally, but just seeing him able to do that against those kind of, kind of tight windows, that kind of tight defense, was great to see. He even showed a willingness to use his leg and convert some third down. So I think when you look at this team, they were just able to methodically run the ball and kind of let that be their steady force throughout the game. And then when they had their opportunities to take those chances and have those sprinkles in of explosive plays, they got them. You talk about the 39-yard touchdown by Colin Lacey, the 57-yard touchdown by Colin Lacey, and then Webb had the 65-yard touchdown to seal the deal. I think when you just look at the perfect offensive execution of this game, it was all centered around the rushing attack. If they're able to consistently run the ball like this throughout the year, it's going to take even more off of Carter Bradley's plate, and you're going to see him 
truly be comfortable. But I think the question does come, can they maintain this and can they do that with some of those depth concerns? I was a little bit concerned at the wide receiver position. Colin Lacey obviously had a big day. But when you lose a guy like Boyson out wide, he only had about four pass catchers, I believe, in this game. But I think the opposite concerns kind of with the running game. You mentioned LaDamian Webb back coming into full form. Marco Lee having a great game even. I think they have some depth there. It's going to be a matter of can they get more out of their receiving core maybe in the future and can this run game stay consistent for them? Because if so, I think Carter Bradley and this offense can really show that they're one of the top units in the conference. If they can do it against a Big 12 defense, they can definitely get it done against a Sunbelt defense in the future. Caden, talking about defense, though, for South Alabama, this was a huge day. Oklahoma State just 70 yards in the first half, 138 yards in the second half. Four sacks, four TFLs against a Big 12 offensive line. Marquise Robinson had that big interception in the second quarter. Caden, this was a defensive masterclass from South Alabama. Yeah, this is a people shutout. I mean, they kept this team scoreless until a 17-play drive that touched the third and the fourth quarter of this game. But this defense played stellar, and I think they did so by performing well on all three levels. When you talk about the defensive line, the linebacking core, and the secondary, they played a complete performance, and that's what got us excited about this defense coming into the season. When you talk about that defensive front, they were dominant in that run game. You talk about guys like James Miller, Jaden Voice, and Trey Kaiser. They all did their part playing downhill in the run game. The USA defensive line played a very gap-sound football and allowed those second-level defenders to really fit things up perfectly and stifle that run. They kept OSU under 100 yards in this one. Their quarterback scrambles were really their only way of generating any success in the run game. And I think they also just got a great combination of pressure and coverage in this one. When you look at Brock Higdon, a guy who's a 6'7 defensive lineman who I thought could break out this year, he had two sacks in this one. The Sheriff, Jamie Sheriff, as always gets a sack too. The quarterback was never really comfortable in this game, but even when they were comfortable, you saw things getting strapped up on the back end with some tight coverage. They had no big plays in this one. Oklahoma State's longest reception was 15 yards, which is unheard of in Pac-12 football in today's game of football. The Gallman injury is going to be huge for them coming forward, but I think they just have so much juice on the back end that this unit, if it's playing cohesively, you mentioned the Marquise Robinson interception. If they're playing good up front and good on the back end, this is going to be a very hard team to stop. And I think you saw that in this game, and you can continue to see it this year if all those puzzle pieces of that talented core are really sticking together from the front to the back of their defense. Well, South Alabama heads home. They will face Central Michigan in week four. That's a one and two Central Michigan team coming off of a 41 to 17 loss to Sam Hartman in Notre Dame in week three. Caden's second matchup we want to talk about James Madison versus Troy. JMU coming away with a 16 to 14 win. They knock out the Trojans in this game. Caden, this was always going to be a heavyweight bout and it lived up to the billing. Cameron Wise, for me, was the MVP with three big field goals made. JMU led 6-0 early in that second quarter. They led 16-4 before Troy scored early in that fourth quarter. We did see a couple of controversial penalties late in the game that ultimately sunk the Trojans. Kane, we had JMU and Troy number one and number two, respectively, in our power rankings last week. This was a championship-level matchup. I'm disappointed that we don't have the chance to see it potentially again this year. This was the heavyweight bout at its finest, Cato. Yeah, I just feel like given the pedigree and the partic- in particular just the amount of big-time defensive players in this game especially, there's just a small handful of teams in the conference I think you could say go can step into this environment, stand toe-to-toe with a big-time team in the conference this early in the season and deliver. I think this is one of those games where I've played them before. You know you're playing in a tough game against a tough conference opponent, 
And I think both teams should go to the locker room not feeling any type of way about their performance. Like you mentioned, those penalties at the end of the game became crucial. Those big plays, those field goals, the missed ones, the missed touchdown opportunities, all those little plays always get magnified in big-time games where both teams are playing super efficiently. So I think when you talk about our power rankings, both of these teams might have proven this game. They're not going anywhere. They belong at the top of the conference because they played so well in this game. I think it's one of those ones where, hey, you're glad these teams aren't on the same side of the conference because it would have been more of a detriment. But going forward, you have to like both of these teams, especially the defensive prowess they showed in this one, as being those solidified top teams in the East and West. Caden, most matchups, we start by talking about offense. But in this one, we've got to talk about these defenses first. They were fantastic. Troy's defense allows 290 yards. They held JMU to under 100 yards rushing in this contest. They finished with nine TFLs and three sacks. Meanwhile, on the other side, JMU's defense, they give up 320 yards, but held Troy to negative 12 yards on the ground, 10 TFLs and five sacks. Devin Coles had that interception as well as a or forced a couple of fumbles this JMU defense did. Two great defenses, Kane. JMU just a little bit better in this game. Yeah, two great performances, but JMU was just a little bit greater on this given night. I think if these teams stand toe-to-toe 10 times, maybe five times one defense gets the upper hand and five times the other one it was. But, I mean, both of these offenses only converted three third downs each on the entire days. Both defenses tackled great. They fit the run great. They played tight coverage in the secondary. And most importantly, they both just played extremely high effort, hair on fire kind of football that you just love to see. But I think, man, this JMU defense just looked especially unreal up front and just I think further prove that they're the best defense in this conference. I think they just get the title by knocking off this Troy team with their defense. They had six sacks and 10, 10 TFLs for JMU, only three sacks and nine for Troy. But this JMU might just be, I think it's not even close right now. I think you can't argue anymore. The best defensive line in the conference. You talk, we talked in depth about James Carpenter this offseason and the impact he has as the best defensive tackle in this conference, but Mikhail Kamara and Jamari Chrome, are you kidding me this year? These guys clearly saw the defensive lineman rankings heading into the season and had something to say about it. I think two sacks and three TFLs for Kamara, a sack and a half and two and a half TFLs for Chroma. While leading the team, Chroma did in, as a defensive lineman in tackles. That's just absurd. They're having an ex- outstanding year up front, both stopping the run and getting after the pass rush. And I think these two, their tremendous seasons along with this entire unit just resulted in the absolute stifling of this run game for Troy. And that's really what the difference was, I think, in this game was JMU's elite ability to stop that run. If you take away that negative yardage on some of those sacks, they only had 33 yards on the ground. We mentioned Kamani Vidal maybe being the guy to break through this defensive line. He was not able to do it. I think that's what made this Troy offense a little bit one-dimensional. And as a result, their secondary did an excellent job just playing tight coverage. All of the converted passes, the first downs, they were all in tight windows. They were all on the edge. Gunnar Watson did a great job of finding, kind of threading the needle on a lot of those plays, but nothing was given up easily for JMU. And I think just their ability to stop the run a little bit better than this team on the other side of them, the other defense that they faced was just the difference in this matchup. And it was just obviously a great, fantastic performance from both defenses where JMU just got the edge in this one. Okay, and I saw a great stat on Twitter early this morning from Shane Metlin, who covers James Madison. They have given up 950 rushing yards through their first 14 games at the FBS level. That equates to 68 yards per game. This front for James Madison has been as good as it gets. Okay, now offensively, JMU seems to be developing a winning formula. They want a consistent rushing attack to kind of help take that load off of Jordan McLeod. They got 133 yards on the ground, adjusted for sacks. Troy, meanwhile, was held to negative 12 yards rushing and forced to lean on Watson. Same things we saw last year from this Troy team. Caden, thoughts offensively for both of these sides real quick. 
Yeah, you got to give a hats off to JMU offensive quarter Mike, quarter, uh, coordinator Mike Shanahan in this one because I think it was, despite them scoring more points against Virginia, I think it was very obvious that this was a stronger and more confident offensive performance from McLeod. You could tell immediately he was more comfortable. You took some more off of his plate, I think, from a scheme standpoint, and it allowed him to be a lot more efficient, a lot more turnover-free, and really utilize his weapons. You talk about Kalen Black and Tyson Law, and they were able to do just enough to sustain their run game in this one. You mentioned the 133 yards combined on the ground from those guys. And Shanahan just did a really good job dialing up different concepts where they get those playmakers open to move those chains. We saw a really crafty concept to get Reggie Brown open on that 36-yard play that got them the field goal on that first drive. You saw the 34-yard catch and throw to Kalen Black to get that first another drive going in the game. And you finally got to see Elijah Surratt, the FCS transfer, we heard some good things about, get going in this one. They created some plays and some opportunities for him. So I anticipate going forward, they'll be able to run the ball a little bit better than they were against Troy. But looking forward, I think they're going to lean on that run game and have a little bit more off of the plate of their quarterback, McLeod, going forward in this season and really setting him up to find those weapons and get them set up for success. And I think on the offensive side of the ball for Troy, I think we saw improvement from last year. I think Gunnar Watson actually showed some more confidence in his receivers and some of the concepts and made some accurate passes. It was just a tough game to reach the end zone. It was just extremely stingy performance when you talk about JMU secondary and keeping them out of the end zone. I think he made a ton of impressive throws, and I think going forward you would imagine – with Kamani Dahl in the fold, running the ball efficiently, this offense will be more of the peak of their powers. But I think moving forward, teams are going to try to take a page out of this JMU book and possibly put more in the box, make Gunnar Watson beat you. So I think in their department, they look good. They look improved, I think, in the passing game. They just were stonewalled by a very good defense. But moving forward, maybe they should possibly prepare for if they can't run the ball, how do they look as a team that might have to rely on the pass more moving forward? Well, James Madison travels to Logan, Utah to face Utah State next week. They are 1-2 and two after losing 39-21 to 21 to Air Force in Week 3. JMU looks to stay perfect. Troy looks to bounce back after back-to-back losses for the first time in a while. Caden, third matchup to talk about Georgia State versus Charlotte. Georgia State wins this one 41-25. Their first 3-0 and start in program history. They were, Caden, you remember back the last couple of years, a combined 2-10 and in the first five games of the last two seasons. They jump out to an early 17-0 lead in the second quarter. Marcus Carroll, who leads the Sunbelt in rushing touchdowns, had another big day, as did Robert Lewis, who leads in receiving yards and touchdowns, following in the footsteps of Jamari Thrash, both having breakout seasons. Caden, this game was Darren Grager's own personal highlight reel. He's consistently been a slept-on guy in this conference, north of 500 yards of total offense, four touchdowns, three through the air, one on the ground, over 1,000 yards of total offense and eight total touchdowns, no interceptions this year. Caden, is Darren Granger the second-best quarterback in the Sun Belt right now? I, I think it's hard to argue. I think when you look at what he's giving to this team, it's about just his value as a player on this offense and what he's able to do with them. I mean, this this weekend was the Darren Granger show. It's hard to argue with what he's done. I think when you look at Charlotte, they didn't have a great defensive week the week prior, but we'll find out more during this season what they are. But good Lord, what Darren Granger was able to do to this defense with his arm and his legs was unreal. You mentioned the 466 passing yards and three touchdowns in the air, along with one on the ground, which he does so well. But I think what stand out to me was just his improved deep ball accuracy. He had a 97-yard touchdown pass to Robert Lewis, a 78-yard touchdown pass to Talik Williams, found Lewis again on a 38-yarder. I think Darren Granger is looking like he's almost the chief mastery of really picking apart 
defenses in every way, going all the way to the deep passing game, everything within that. And then as a runner with his legs, I think it's going to be very scary for defenses if he can keep this up. Marcus Carroll didn't have some mega game that we're used to seeing him have, but did his thing with 70 yards on the ground and a touchdown. And it's looking like Robert Lewis is going to take over that role that Jamari Thrash had, breaking the single seam game record for this team. I think at the peak of their powers, this offense specifically is looking very hard to stop, especially in the East that's already deep. And I think the question is, can Granger keep up this consistency moving forward? Can he do it consistently against conference opponents? And can they maybe get themselves in that title conversation in this East that has a ton of quarterback talent and maybe him being the face of it with the hottest hand going forward? Very excited about this offense moving forward with Granger at the helm. Well, Granger's going to have a big opportunity on Thursday this coming week uh, when they face Coastal Carolina on the primetime. Caden, the front seven for Georgia State in this game finally looked like the unit we were expecting this year. Four sacks, 10 TFLs. They held Charlotte to 88 yards rushing in this game. Caden, what'd you like about this group's performance? I really like all year how they've been able to show improvement week after week. I think week one, we had some concerns about them in that game against Rhode Island where they kind of showed some some ugly heads in that one. They didn't look fantastic in that game, but week after week, they've gotten better and better. And I think this one is kind of them looking at a peak of their powers as far as the season goes. You mentioned they held Charlotte scoreless in the first and the last quarters of this game. They forced two turnovers in this one. They were phenomenal on third down getting off the field. Oh, three for 14, they had Charlotte on the third down conversion rate. And they got their offense back on the field constantly. When you have a hot hand quarterback like Darren Granger, you're going to reap the benefits of that. So I think this deep front seven we mentioned and had a lot of linebacker talent heading into the season. They had a solid performance in this one. You mentioned them holding this team under 100 yards rushing, 10 TFLs, four sacks. This is what this unit we thought was going to look like. Heading into the season, they're starting to live up to it now. It seems like perfect timing with the conference schedule getting near for them. And I think just them having this momentum, being 3-0 and for the first time in program history, and them finally playing good football, they might have stubbed their toe a little bit as far as play, but were able to pull out wins, which we didn't see them do last year. And I think if this defense is cooking and this offense is cooking, just another team you can pencil in to be worried about in the East. So very excited about this team, very excited about this unit specifically. And Thursday, I think, is going to be a great matchup. Georgia State takes the trip to Coastal Carolina, who's 2-1 and coming off of a 66-7 to win in Week 3 over Duquesne. It'll be the first midweek game of the season, Kane. And I'm telling you right now, I'm thinking about driving over to Conway for this game. We'll have to uh, make that decision a little bit later on this week. Let's move on to our fourth matchup, Caden. I had Louisiana as down and out last week, but they respond in a huge way, winning 41 to 21 over UAB. The scoreline, Caden, I feel like doesn't really describe just the level of domination in this game. They led 27 nothing late in the third quarter. They extend that lead to 41 to three before UAB scored 18 points in the last five minutes of kind of scrap time. Uh, three different runners found the end zone for Louisiana. They run for 305 yards rushing. Kane, the big storyline in this game, Ben Wooldridge goes down early with an injury. He did not return. Zeon Chris, who many have considered uh, the future at this position, came in and excelled 14 to 20, 70% for 174 yards and touchdown through the air. Also ran for 103 and two touchdowns on the ground. Kane, reminded me a lot of Levi Lewis in this game. Is the future now for the Raging Cajuns? Yeah, obviously we hate this for Ben Wooldridge. We're familiar with his injury history that forced him to miss some time last year and miss some time this offseason as well with a knee injury. And now he hurts his foot in the first possession of this game following the strong performance the weekend before. So we obviously hope him 
he has a speedy recovery. But Zion Chris, we talked to Coach Dez this offseason. He said he got a lot of reps with the first team this offseason because of Ben Wooldridge's injury. He talked about him being the future and being confident in that displaying those Levi Lewis type traits. But we finally got to see it on full display in this one. The future became the present. And I think when you have your top running back out in Draylon Washington, your top wide out so far this year in Robert Williams gone, even your starting right tackle is gone. The fact that a young quarterback could come in, step into this moment on the road and perform was huge. He stepped up and absolutely delivered. I think with his legs, we always liked Ben Wooldridge and the element he had with his legs, being able to kind of convert some third and mediums, wasn't a real burner, but was able to give you just enough athleticism to pair with your run game. This guy, Chris, takes it to a whole other level. I think he has more athletic ability and that running ability than even we saw from a Levi Lewis. You saw that on full display with his 80-yard touchdown. He had the two touchdown scores like you mentioned. This guy adds a whole new wrinkle and layer to this offense. So you got some help from Jacoby Kadobi in the run game, but then I think him being able to generate his own run game as well is going to be a huge wrinkle for this offense. He showed a ton of poise and efficiency in the past game. He wasn't asked to do too much because they were running the ball so well, but I think this offense with this quarterback specifically, you have to be excited about it, especially looking across the West, especially. We don't know how many of these quarterbacks can really prove that they're elevators of their offense. If Zeon Chris is showing that already with this team, I think sky's the limit for him, and I think there's a ton to be excited about if you're a Cajun fan, seeing this young quarterback kind of show some some new elements and, and layers to this offense that you haven't seen before. Kane, another thing to be excited about, this Louisiana defense had their best game of the year. They finished with eight TFLs and five sacks. They had a pair of interceptions, also a forced fumble. Kane, that secondary looks strong too. Uh, you're pleased with this performance, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, after this unit got lit up by Grant Wilson in the Old Dominion offense the year before or the week before, you think this secondary had to step up and had to play big, especially knowing that they were going to be the ones that kind of had the biggest task going into this game, playing an air raid type of offense that likes to throw the ball a ton. They had two interceptions in this game, the lowest passing yard total we've seen from this UAB quarterback all season. They kept them out of the end zone for the entire game until the fourth quarter. Just a fantastic job as a unit that we definitely looked upon as maybe an area of concern for this team heading into this season and definitely an area of concern after last week. And they stepped up big. This defensive front, we know they're strong. We know what they're going to do. They had seven sacks in this game, and that definitely ha- helped have an impact in the passing game as well. But when we lose Trey and when you lose Gar or Amos Podesclo in the offseason and you worry about that defensive backfield, to see them step up in this game and almost be the centerpiece of this unit and get this win is going to be huge for them. I think moving forward, they played very cohesively with their defensive front, had a strong showing. So I think that pair with the good quarterback play you just saw, I think a lot to be excited about for Louisiana fans moving forward. And I think the stock for them is definitely trending in the right direction as they try to get back into that championship kind of caliber and pedigree of play. Well, Louisiana, they welcome Buffalo, who's coming in 0-3 off of a 28-point loss to Liberty in Week 3. This is the Louisiana team. After the Old Dominion loss, Caden, they are looking to get back on track. They could improve to 3-1 and before heading uh, to Minnesota in Week 5. Let's move on to our fifth matchup, Caden. This is as far as we could push the App State ECU game down the schedule. App State wins 43-29 over ECU. This was the first meeting against ECU since 1979. It came in front of 40,168 fans, which tied the program's all-time record, which was set last year against UNC. I'm wondering why Doug Gillen didn't get one extra seat in this stadium for this game. 38,122 fans through their first two games this year, Caden. That's 127% of the capacity of Kid Brewer Stadium. This is the best home field advantage in the Sun Belt. And Caden on offense in this game, we saw a two-headed monster. Joey Aguilar, Nate Noel, 
Aguilar throws for 17 of 29, 341, three touchdowns and interception. Also had a rushing touchdown. Noel, 178 yards and a touchdown. He's leading the Sunbelt Conference in yards right now. We're three weeks into the season, Caden. Is this the best quarterback running back duo in the conference currently? I think when you talk about consistency, it's hard to deny. I mean, we clearly had the outlier performance from Darren Granger this year that looked great. And we saw that Marcus Carroll has had great games in the past. Same with Vidal and Gunnar Watson. You have these duos that I think we know are great and we've seen the body of work. But I think consistently, consistently week after week, what this duo and tandem has been able to do is undeniable. You mentioned Nate Noel kind of quietly leading the conference in rushing yards. If he's back to the peak of his powers and that thousand yard rusher, that first team all Sunbelt performance that we saw a couple years ago if we see that this year I think that takes this offense to a whole new level despite them maybe having some depth concerns they got Kanye Roberts involved this game he fumbled which was tough to see but I think they're trying to get some other mouths fed in this locker room but I think the running back room specifically but I think when you look at Nate Noel leading the charge right now playing maybe some of the best football we've seen that's going to take this offense to another level and then Joey Aguilar you mentioned it had the tough pick six in this game but he still is being very fearless with his downfield throwing he's getting all of his targets involved We're seeing him getting his tight ends involved as well. He's not discriminating who he's throwing the ball to. And I think we've seen him now do it on a variety of big stages to where you can trust that and rely on that going throughout the season. And I think one of the biggest parts that I saw just watching this game is he was having a ton of fun. He was dancing in the end zone with his teammates after a score. This offense is cutting it loose this year. And I think them having confidence in moments where maybe last year they kind of hit the wall and didn't have confidence. And we saw that really result in some bad things for them when you think back to that Texas State loss in different moments where they kind of got stagnant. I think just the energy you've seen from this unit, them proving they could do it on a hostile environment in North Carolina, following it up with some consistent play and some home games. I think when you talk about dangerous tandems dangerous units it starts with these two and I think this whole offense as a whole is definitely making film study for some of these defensive teams in the sun but kind of open their eyes take their tabs and really do their diligence when they have to face this app state team in the future Kane, you give up 28 points in this game but 14 of those points were off of offensive turnovers you had that eight yard interception return in the second quarter a 57 yard fumble return in the third quarter seven tfls and four sacks you also had a season-high three interceptions, Kane. It was the first time since 2021 versus ULM and Arkansas State. You probably remember that. That was when Stephen Jones had four interceptions in two games. Caden, were you finally satisfied with his defense's performance? I was. This is probably, everyone knows this is a unit I'm critical of just because I was a part of it in the past. But I think you mentioned those two, you look at the box score, you just look at the team as a whole. You think this defense gave up 28 points. They only gave up 14 points in this game. And the ways they did it were on the very first drive of the game and another long touchdown drive for this team. So on those drives, they had some mental errors. They didn't tackle as well as they liked to. But you'll take two scoring drives all day if it means this offense is going to light up the scoreboard. So I think they're showing improvement. They looked great against North Carolina, against a worthy opponent, a great quarterback in that game. They played down to the competition, I think, a little bit in this game when you look at those drives and some of the mistakes they made. But overall, I think this defense is kind of in that area now where they're in that zone where they want to decide if they can be good or great. They've shown a lot of great moments, the great turnovers, the great pressures, some great fourth quarter moments as well. But do they want to get and stay into that lane and not just kind of revert to being a good or average defense. They also have those moments as well. But I think it's all about consistency with this unit. It sounds like they're really gelling. They're getting the concepts down that Coach Sloan is teaching them. They really have the scheme more figured out. So if they can just see more confident play, more consistent play, I think 
this team now we're going to get to the stretch of the season where we find out what they're really about defensively. They've shown improvement, which is the most important thing. But I think can they sustain that improvement and maybe get in the conversation with the James Madisons, the South Alabamas, these defenses who we see have shutout performances, who keeps teams out of the end zone. Can they be that great defense? Because it's looking like they already have the makings of a great offense. They can definitely get back to that championship level if they have a good or even great defense that's undeniable for them moving forward. Well, the early returns for App State have looked good. The Mountaineers head to Laramie, Wyoming to face Wyoming, who's 2-1 and one, coming off of a 21-point loss to number 4 Texas in Week 3. Well, Caden, there were so many good matchups. We figured we'd go lightning round here and talk about a few of these games. We're only going to spend about two minutes on each one of these matchups. First up, Texas State 77, Jackson State 34. G.J. Kinney keeping his promise to light up the scoreboard. It was a Division I era program record of 77 points, the most since 1920. 684 yards of offense were second most in program history. We saw two 100-yard rushers in Demarius Good. And, oh, look, there was Malik Hornsby. T.J. Finley had five touchdowns. Caden, excitement up. 24,000 attended this game, ninth largest crowd. The caveat certainly is that Jackson State isn't a very good football team this year. Nine different receivers had catches. They put up 42 points in a seven-minute span. Caden, this team could have a bowl game locked up by mid-October at this rate. The excitement and buzz is definitely there. I'm very excited for this program. You mentioned it. Obviously, every defense and team in general, this Texas State unit will face moving forward will be better in this one. But this team had five touchdowns in the second quarter. That was completely absurd. They had 56 points at halftime. And I think there's just too many great performances to point out. Obviously, starting with TJ Finley getting things done with his arm and his legs, Cole Wilson ends this game with 192 all-purpose yards after having a solid day catching the ball and a fantastic day returning the ball. It's kind of great to see this offense at the peak of his powers, but I think what really caught my eye, as you mentioned, is the Malik Hornsby debut. He ended this game as the team's leading rusher with 133 yards and two scores. His interception he threw was off a tip pass, so I'm not going to knock him for that. But I think finally seeing that speed and athleticism and knowing that, hey, maybe in the future if this offense gets stagnant, we know we can rely on this guy that has a package and can add to the run game could be very exciting. So exciting showing for Texas State, obviously more excited to see it in conference play moving forward. Jordan Rebels, Bo Corrales both missed that game. Texas State going to look to get them back quickly. They welcome Nevada, who's 0-3, seven-point loss to Kansas in week three to San Marcos as G.J. Kinney looks to get this team off to a 3-1 and start. Our seventh matchup, Caden, Wisconsin 35, Georgia Southern 14. Georgia Southern went into this game looking for their second straight Big Ten upset. They took a 14-7 lead with 12.33 to go in that third quarter. Wisconsin scores 28 unanswered points in the final 27 minutes of this football game. Caden, the story, Davis Brin, one of the oddest performances that you're ever going to see, throws for 383 yards and a touchdown, but it was five interceptions and a fumble. He was responsible for six turnovers that ultimately sunk Georgia Southern. Caden Brin has been electric through two weeks. What went wrong for him here in week three? Yeah, his first interception, he got hit while throwing it. I'm not going to knock him for that. But the rest of them were overthrows, bad decisions, miscommunication. The snap hit him right in the hands that he fumbled. Just not a good performance, and he just looked a little shell-shocked in moments. There's obviously a ton of responsibility to the quarterback in this offense. As you know, he threw the ball 52 times in this one, and the running game wasn't as consistent. There was some chaos up front, but you have to give your team at least a chance and not turn the ball over that much because it's very hard to if you do turn the ball over that much. You can't be the type of air raid offense that's just as likely to turn the ball over as they are to score. So hopefully they'll be able to reel that stuff in when they get closer to conference play. And it's just especially a shame because this defense played stout in the first half. They held Wisconsin to just seven points. And because the Bryn 
because Brennan, this offense were able to move the ball, Wisconsin really had to work for theirs on offense and the Eagles made them work. But as we mentioned, that run game just wore on this team in the second half. And when you're giving the ball back to them so many times, it's just super tough. So we saw some good defensive things, have to see better turnover control from Davis Brennan moving forward. But I still, still think we have the same issues and worries about this offense moving forward as we might have in the past. Well, a 2-1 and one Georgia Southern team will look to get back on track in Week 4. They're going to head to Ball State, who's 1-2 and two on the year, coming off of a 38-point win over Indiana State. Kane, let's move on to a game that was heartbreaking. Wake Forest comes away with a 27-24 win over Old Dominion. ODU led 17-0 at the half. They gave up 27 second-half points to Mitch Griffiths and company. They were outscored 14-0 in the fourth quarter. If there was a bright spot, it was Lamarion James had a fumble and interception return for a touchdown. Kane, this game was the prototypical tale of two halves. 17 points, 277 yards in the first half, just 7 points, 23 yards in the second half. Javon Harvey goes for a career high, three catches, 166 yards and a touchdown in the first half, didn't have a catch in the second half. Kane, give a lot of credit to Wake's defense in this game, but Why did ODU's high-powered offense suddenly stall in the second half? They stalled because they couldn't they couldn't get off the field or they couldn't stay on the field. Rather, Noah. I mean, you talk about those seven points they had in the second half. Those were from a Lamarion James touchdown of the day from the defensive side of the ball. So their offense did absolutely nothing in the second half. They started off the second with two three and outs, then a four and out, then a fumble, then another three and out, and then they had their two minute drill to win the game and they couldn't move the chains once. That was just four plays ending in a fourth down stop. So Old Dominion fans, don't be fooled. Your offense scored 10 points in this game and they just went three for 15 on their third downs during the day. They just could not convert. They couldn't move the chains. The football gods were on the side of this team early in the game. You saw them getting some good fortune and some great defensive play, but the offense is going to have to find a way to get things going on early downs and move the chains, especially when that run game and defense isn't playing well. So this ODU ODU team as a whole is really looking like one where we've seen some high highs and some low lows. Very curious to see how they go moving forward just with some of these struggles that they could definitely easily fix moving forward, I think. Well, ODU sitting at one and two as they head into week four. They will be home for the third straight week. They will face FCS opponent Texas A&M Commerce, who made the transition from Division II recently. They're looking to get back to 500 on the season. Kane, last matchup, it was the battle for the bell between Tulane and Southern Miss. Tulane walks away with a 21-3 victory over Southern Miss. Have to admit the crowd support in Hattiesburg a little bit disappointing here for this big-time matchup. Michael Pratt did not play in this game, but backup Kai Horton, who we talked about on the preview, finished with three touchdowns. Southern Miss finished with just 202 yards and only 25 rushing yards in this game. Caden, offensively, this was not a great day for the Golden Eagles. Billy Wiles never did anything special, 177 yards and no touchdowns. Frank Gore continues to be missing in action, just 16 yards on 13 carries. Kane, this offense, it feels like has gotten worse over the last two weeks. Yeah, just for the people, I chose Tulane or Tulane to cover and win in this game because it said a lot more about Tulane, I think, than Southern Miss. I just think Tulane's going to be a very great team this year. But now after the game, I think it might have more to do with Southern Miss now, especially on the offensive side of the ball, like you mentioned. Kai Horton, we know, is a solid football player, but that nasty bunch defense did their thing in this game. We know Tulane is going to make their fair share of explosive plays, and they have the weapons to do that. They made a few of them. Holding this team to 21 points is not shabby at all. And I think it's something that a lot of teams won't be able to do against Tulane this year, no matter who's playing quarterback for them. But Southern Miss is supposed to have their own explosive weapons as well, and they were just missing in this one. Frank Gore almost connected on one of those signature passes he has that could have been for a touchdown that they missed. And I feel like after that moving forward, this offense just had the win out of their sails. 
Frank Gore ended up injured, I believe, in this game. Is what the reports are saying. He had a boot on scene after the game. They really struggled to run the ball. Wiles wasn't very efficient. He was efficient, but he wasn't very just willing to take risks, throw the ball down the field, get explosive plays going. He played very conservative. And I think when you pair that with a just a subpar rushing attack, you're not going to see an exciting offensive day at all. So I think they have to figure out some stuff on the offensive side of the ball. They're used to that run game being their bread and butter. And if that's not there and they don't have an explosive passing game that's really threatening defenses, it could be bad news in Hattiesburg real fast. So they definitely have some stuff to figure out on the offensive side of the ball. Shout out to the Nasty Bunch doing their thing on defense. Well, Southern Miss will try to find their offense as they head to Arkansas State in week four. Arkansas State one and two, though, coming off of a 24-point win over Stony Brook in week three. A big weekend for the Sun Belt. You get another Power Five win. Certainly the train rolling down the proverbial tracks. The Sun Belt continuing to be a tough out on a week-in and week-out basis. Well, that will do it for our week three recap on the Prairie and Smith podcast. The Sunbelt football season continues to provide excitement each and every week. Before you go, here's a quick reminder that we'll be back on Wednesday. We'll be releasing our next student athlete interview. Kane, this one I am really excited about featuring three-time Sunbelt player of the year, Coastal Carolina quarterback Grayson McCall. You're not going to want to miss it. One final thing, if you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you do one thing. Share this podcast with at least one of your friends. Help us help you by continuing to grow the show into the premier destination for Sunbelt football fans. So for Caden Smith, Richmond Weaver, and Brett Jemis, I'm Noah Freire. We really appreciate you spending more time with us today. Well, that's goodbye for now. We'll talk to you again soon.